Welcome to the Judge John Hodgman Podcast. I'm Bailiff Jesse Thorne. This week, we're in chambers clearing the docket. With me, Judge John Hodgman. Hello, Judge Hodgman. Hello, Bailiff Jesse Thorne. I believe we have a special guest this week. Is that not so? That's absolutely correct. You, America, know him as Ron Swanson on television's Parks and Recreation. You know him from many great films. He has a brand new book, his second best-selling book. It's called Good Clean Fun, Misadventures in Sawdust at Offerman Woodshop. He's a big Judge John Hodgman fan. It's Nick Woodshop. That's correct. Wait a minute. <laughs> Nick Offerman. Hello, I'm here uh, to dispense justice. We're thrilled to have you here, Nick. I need to give a warning to the people listening at home, abroad, in their cars and zeppelins. Uh, Nick Offerman is an incredible human specimen. And even in a non-visual medium such as podcasting, it is likely that everyone within the sound of his voice is going to feel powerful feelings they may not understand mm-hmm. and are going to get so seduced that they uh, forget what they're doing yeah. and uh, or immediately start driving their cars and zeppelins to Max Fun HQ uh, in order to try to drive directly to the voice and, and become its friend and servant. Look, that's what happened to me, and I encourage it because a life with Offerman is a life uh, that is uh, bedazzled with uh, blessings. But be careful while you drive, and also be careful while you listen, because sometimes Offerman gets a little salty. Well. If your kids are driving the car right now, make them wear earmuffs. <laughs> I mean, that's basic car safety anyway. Your Honor, I'd like to thank you for that generous introduction, uh, which in my house we would call over-egging the pudding. I know, but I'm just listening to your voice and I'm rubbing my cheek against my microphone right now. What did you do today, Nick? Well, uh, I've been to the wood shop this morning um, where I am unpacking my ukulele parts. Uh, I'm getting ready to make a batch of ukuleles at long last. Is it something you've been waiting to do for years? It's Not only have, have I been waiting, but I've been talking about it for a couple of years. I, I have the pieces cut out. I have all these beautiful long, thin slats that'll become the sides and tops and backs of ukuleles. And I've just been working through my own docket of showbiz uh, uh, calendar items, yeah, and uh, finally getting to the shop. So not only am I wearing some fashionable jeans uh, today, but they're covered in sawdust. Oh. If you don't know, Nick is not merely an incredibly talented uh, actor and a television star, he actually does have this wood shop and actually makes stuff out of wood. And that's what your book, Good Clean Fun, is all about. And I want to know what kind of wood you're making those ukuleles out of, Nick. It's a variety. I have some tr- traditional uh, koa and mango that I received from a gentleman in Hawaii. But I'll also be um, – there, there some, uh, there's some myrtle, which I know you're familiar with. Yes. There's, there's some red cedar and spruce tops. And then I have a variety of American cherry, uh, Claro walnut, and maple. And also uh, one doozy out of red eucalyptus. And how many, how many ukuleles is the woodshop going to push out this year? I'm, I'm shooting for a batch of 16, and this is – I've made one so far. Mm-hmm. And in this 16, we're going to streamline the process so then the shop can begin to make countless uh, hordes of ukuleles. Nick, have you thought about uh, a further television career, not as an actor, but as uh, like maybe a PBS woodworking host, like basically a new new Yankee workshop? I have thought about it. I've met Norm Abrams. Uh, he is uh, a, a hero in the pantheon of uh, of broadcast woodworking. <laughs> and um, <laughs> he's right at the center of that Mount Rushmore. He, he is. He is the Superman, uh, veritably. And uh, it may come to pass. You know, showbiz has a lot of gross things about it that uh, I have little patience for. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so ultimately, if I could have a beautiful shop where I make the rules, and I say, okay, we're gonna make a table this week, and we're gonna do it at my pace. 
And that's the show. Yeah, that's the advantage of public television, Nick. <laughs> you can do it at your pace. You can do it. You can talk real slow. <laughs> yeah. you, you can do it at your pace because no one's waiting for you. Public television invented ASMR. Like the, <laughs> the whole purpose of public television is to soothe. Yeah, Bob Ross is still the most scalpingly thing on TV. Oh. You got it. Well, we have some people who need uh, help and guidance, and there are very uh, few as qualified as Nick Offerman to weigh in with such uh, advice. So let's move forward with the docket, shall we, Jesse? Yeah, we've got a question from Liz who specifically asked for Nick's expertise. Uh, This matter regards cocktail stirrers. Um, She says, recently I was sitting at the bar next to a young man who was in his mid to late 20s. He ordered a gin and tonic and he proceeded to sip his drink through the cocktail stirrer. Occasionally he would just kind of lean over and sip without lifting the glass from the bar. I said nothing. Secretly, I pitied him. The cocktail stirrer is not a miniature straw. A highball glass is not a juice box. My husband and I wondered what you, Judge Hodgman, or Nick Offerman would have done in that situation. We guess that Nick Offerman would have manned him up more directly, but your multimedia platform could influence a wider swath of today's youth. So I appear to you, would you address this on the Judge John Hodgman podcast? I believe Mr. Offerman has the floor. Well, uh, I've got some bad news. Uh, yes. I... I would agree that a highball glass is not a juice box. That seems self-evident. Much the same as a hot dog is not a sandwich. Uh, mm-hmm. I have, you need not pander to this court, sir. I have both feet firmly on the floor now. I enjoy the pandering. This is a nice quilted maple uh, of some age. and uh, But I would disagree. Uh, a cocktail stirrer is, by definition, a tiny straw. It is a long plastic tube through which you can draw your beverage. And I, um, I don't like old-fashioned uh, snotty etiquette around. If, if you want to be quote-unquote hep <laughs> yeah, that, in, in, say. in some way and wear your zoot suit and drink a cocktail properly, then by all means, you shouldn't uh, sip through your cocktail stirrer. But... I cut to Jesse Thorne and me sitting embarrassed in our zoot suits. <laughs> nice, uh, nice cigarette holder. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. I got it at my arm garter shop. <laughs> I, I I vote for do as you please in all instances. If if you want to wrap your lips around the top of your highball glass, tilt your head back and consume the entire uh, concoction at once. Giant ice cube and all. It's a free country. And uh, the, the sensibility of whether or not something is manly or not, I think, is something I would like to see broken down. Um, I, there's, there's decency and then there's machismo. And uh, if, I, I think there are much more indecent things one could be doing than sipping a now, – now, the gin and tonic, uh, I might raise my eyebrow. There are much better <laughs> beverages uh, available – Watch out, because Judge Hodgman is a gin man. I uh, am a fan of the juniper juice uh, in general, but if we're if we're questioning the uh, the manhood of uh, this instance, I would say if you order a, a scotch neat, they won't put a cocktail stir in it. Yeah, I, I, there's a part of me that feels like Judge Hodgman. I, I'm interested to hear what you have to say about this. That the sad. Well, maybe someday I'll start my own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the sad part of this is not so much the um, the drinking through the cocktail store. The part that did make me feel a little bit of pity was just the idea of a guy sitting at the bar putting his face into his drink to drink it. And not that I judge the etiquette of that, but my heart genuinely goes out to someone who cannot bring himself to lift his drink to his mouth in order to drink it, but rather drinks it as would a horse. I'll get behind that. Unlike my esteemed colleague, Nick Offerman, I do not believe in anarchy. You just (laughs) drink anything you want any way you want to drink it. Nor do I believe Nick truly believes that because he was raising that eyebrows fiercely at just the idea of a gin and tonic, which, you know, look, unless you're fighting off malaria, I do consider quinine 
tonic to be uh, a waterer downer of the beautiful fairy pea that is gin. <laughs> but but I, I have to say that as someone with a mustache, I've used those little straws sometimes. <laughs> I, now, look, you would never see one in a, in a martini, which is my adult beverage of choice, nor, as you say, in a, in a good glass of scotch. Um, but, you know, there have been times when I've, when I've gotten like a bourbon on the rocks and someone tossed one of those little teeny tiny straws in there. And, and just to save the mustache bath of whiskey that I would get, I would sometimes sip through that thing. But then I would always think to myself, would I want someone to see me doing this? <laughs> would, would I want a beautiful woman to watch me do this? And I, I generally tend to come up no. And I don't think it's a matter of masculinity or etiquette. I think it's a matter of panache. I agree with Jesse that the saddest thing is the dude leaning over to sip his gin and tonic. I don't like that at all. He also eats the peanut straight out of the bowl with his mouth. <laughs> sure. Oh, you mean he doesn't like wet his fingers and then stick them in and see what sticks to them? <laughs> You've cut to the heart of the matter, however, Your Honor. Uh, it's all about panache. If you, yeah. if you don't want to come across as a simpering ninny, then you should lift the glass and sip from it. If you don't care what people think of you, then by all means, slurp directly from the trough of gin. Like a lot of things in life, it does come down to this balance of what do you like and how much do you care other people think you look dumb? And really, the, the latter should be the least of all concerns. I think that uh, living with panache, enough panache to lift your drink up off the table, <laughs> is sort of living out loud and, and being confident in your choices, and that I can get behind. But if your confident choice is you want to drink through a baby straw, and to heck with those who look askance at you, go for it. And that, in that sense, I agree. But yeah, I, you know, lift up your drink. Think about how, not how you look to others, but how you look to yourself. And I would say also that a mixed drink, and if you're serving in a highball glass, there are not, those little stirs wouldn't even fit in that thing. I'm not even sure what this woman saw. But a mixed drink as opposed to a cocktail, a mixed drink that is served in a highball glass and served over ice and usually has some carbonated component to it, or, or a juice component to it, like a screwdriver. All of those, you can drink through straws, regular straws. Just say, I'd like a straw with this. You don't have to dance around it and use a little teeny tiny elf straw. <laughs> Here's something from Lee. I'd like to bring a case against my wife, Samantha. Sam loves to cook. She's good at it, and she takes pride in her skills. However, we're both very busy in our day-to-day. -day. We often end up ordering out or making junky comfort food that's horrible for us. I've recently brought up the option of trying out a meal plan and ingredient delivery service. Sam's adamantly opposed to the concept of such a service. I think it would help us with portion control. It would also help us get back into the habit of cooking better meals for ourselves. Sam would much rather do her own ingredient shopping and make the meals herself. She finds the meal ingredient delivery plans are really more meant for people who aren't already comfortable cooking for themselves. If I win the case, I want the judge to order Sam to let me try one of the delivery services. She can even decide which one. If she wins, I imagine her wish would be to stop me from asking about it ever again. Now, before I give you my opinion on this and solicit the opinion of you fine gentlemen, I want to tell a story. In the 1990s, I'm going to guess around 1998, before any of you were born out there, old man Hodgman and old man Jonathan Colton took to our penny-farthing bicycles to exercise our leg muscles in a loop around Central Park, the park that I lived near at that time. We were um, both working our day jobs still and desperate for some escape from cubicle jockeying and equally desperate to avoid making art the center of our lives because that scared us. So we were constantly looking for get-rich-quick schemes. And at one point, 1998, on a bicycle tour around the park, Jonathan Colton says to me, you know what would be a good idea? To have a company that sends you all the ingredients for a meal and you make it at home yourself. What he anticipated in his mind, of course, and I won't buzz market the most common podcast sponsor of this kind, but there are many companies now that do exactly that. And doing some research, I discovered 
This is going to be something like a $5 billion industry within the next five years. And on that afternoon in 1998, I said to Jonathan Colton, as I said to him every day in the 1990s, that idea will never work. And Jonathan Colton said, if you say so, John. And that is why Jonathan Colton had to become a dirty musician to feed his family. You're welcome. <laughs> Boy, that's a, that's a sad tale. I, I kept my friend from becoming a millionaire. Nick Offerman, I have my opinion on this. Do you have an opinion that you wish to share? Well, the first thing I would like to point out is that Lee uh, has said something erroneous at the end of his request, which is, I imagine her wish would be to stop me from asking about it ever again. And regardless of our, uh, our opinion on this matter, I would caution you against imagining what your wife might wish mm. in, in any instance. Um, that's, that's a very slippery slope to start down. Uh, as far as the subject at hand... Well, what, where does the danger that you foresee? Where will this slippery slope lead to? I, I just would uh, caution him against deigning to imagine what his wife might wish... Uh, in, Could lead to catastrophe. In a, in a case of justice, uh, if he is aware of what he, she might wish, then he would just enact that if he's a proper husband um, instead of bringing it before us today. Oh, you have thrown down the glove. Well, I know how the to... The wooden glove. I know how to maintain a happy household. Uh, so what's your solution for this conflict? Well, uh, my, my suggestion is I have – my wife and I lead crazy lives that are very fun and probably to the layman, um, I would think they would look like a very adventurous good time. We fly mm -hmm. all over the country and to other English-speaking parts of the world to get paid well to perform clowning of one sort or another. And that is a great time, but it doesn't leave a lot of uh, boring home time in the kitchen. So for me, um, mundane domestic tasks like cooking, cleaning, cutting the grass, that's my Disneyland. If I could just get home and bake some cookies or fire up my grill, that's become the most exotic of destinations for me. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I love to cook, and I only get to do it sporadically. And one of the ways that we are able to, to eat uh, a more healthy diet is by using services like these. And um, I think they're absolutely fantastic because before these existed, bef before Jonathan Colton did not uh, create these wonderful services, we would, you know, we'd be coming home from work and say, hey, I'm on my way home, pick up a bucket of fried chicken. And we ate a, a much more delicious and terrible, unhealthy diet. And so if you if have a busy life, if you have a busy household, you can engage these services where you can either receive well-cooked, well-sourced meals or you can – it becomes like a personal assistant service where – they're just basically doing your grocery shopping for you where, yeah. you know, you, you have uh, – we're spoiled with the spectrum of availability. You can just say, give me everything I need to make a spaghetti and meatballs dinner for my family of four. And to my way of thinking, there's no shame at all in that. It allows you to be a responsible adult and, you know, do whatever it is that's keeping you so busy but then still come home and cook rather than have to just order a pizza or something. But let me ask you this, Nick, just as a devil's advocate for a moment. Uh, let's say that the skill in this case was not cooking. Let's say that the skill that S Samantha takes pride in is not cooking, but woodworking. But she doesn't have a lot of time. So she's buying a top half of a pre-made ukulele and a bottom half of a pre-made ukulele sent to her. And all she's got to do is glue it together and then go, yeah, guess what? I made some woodworking today. Would that be okay with you? Is the minimal amount of engagement with the whole process 
still better than nothing? Mm, I'm, I, 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 <laughs> yeah, I just made Nick Offerman stammer, y'all. I'm, I'm, I'm stammering. Something like I got Woodsy Bob Newhart over here with a stammer. <laughs> well, the, I would, I would argue that one uh, item is a work of art and one is uh, a more mundane fare. And that's not to say that uh, this this woman's uh, Sam's cooking might not be an absolute work of art, but it is more. What dis- is an everyday necessity? Yeah, you die if you don't eat, and in some ways, the definition of art is the things that we do that we wouldn't die if we didn't do them. Yeah, and the the ukulele example, if she's doing it because she enjoys making things. And only has time to, you know, she has to have some of the parts pre-made. Um, that could be satisfying her needs as long as she's not then turning around and passing off these products and saying, here's my handmade ukuleles that I made from scratch. Well, listen, but if she were of the same mindset as YouTube seemed to be, <laughs> that that cooking is in, in no way a work of art, but it is a survival technique. And I guess you guys just eat nutrient paste every day. If she were a, a, that sort of um, transactional in her understanding of nutrition, then uh, take, ordering in is the solution. You know, there are lots of healthy options to order in. Cooking, I, I must stand up for cooking as, a, as an art form. And one of the most, I mean, even the fact that it is uh, uh, nourishing um, both uh, physically and uh, culturally and mentally makes it one of the most beautiful art forms I think that culture has devised. It is a way that we share experience with each other and show generosity to each other. And if you were to sit on my podcast, ladies, my podcast still, even though there's a big TV star here, I do want mine. Excuse me. <clears throat> Coming back. Judge Hodgman, you're a big TV guest star. The day I worked on Parks and Recreation was one of the greatest professional and personal days of my life. I'm just warning anyone who comes on my podcast and says that, that cooking is not an art form. Chefs have knives in their unbalanced <laughs> weirdos. Is that why you're so trying you, to get on their good side right now? Well, I'm just saying someone better be careful. Here's the thing, Judge Hodgman. I think that we may be underestimating the amount of artfulness that goes into preparing one of the meals from these meal things. I received a free trial of one of these things yeah. because they sponsored one of my shows and, you know, they wanted me to have done it. And I, I really – I'm a cook. I'm a home cook. I cook most of the food in, in my family. Um, and I, I enjoyed doing it. Uh, it's not a cake mix. You know, it's not like yeah. you take – you dump it into a bowl and then dump a third of a cup of oil and an egg in there and mix it together. They've simply chosen the ingredients for you. It, it is more expensive than doing your own shopping because they are delivering it to you and they have to have a profit margin. Um, but it is actual cooking. I think there sure. may be a third way here. Which is, it seems that both of them may have discarded the idea of making their own meal plan. That's something that many families do. My own family has done it uh, on and off for years. Um, Plan out what you need uh, to make the things that you're going to eat, and then don't buy more than what you need. I certainly agree with everything both of you have have said in spirit. The thing that makes me uh, go a little bit crazy in Lee's petition, in both in, in Lee and Samantha's lives, is that like what you're talking about is cutting out the best part of the making the meal, which is going to the supermarket. I love going, you guys. I love going to the supermarket so much. I do too. I just I will walk around a supermarket. I mean, one of the greatest days in my life, aside from that day I was on Parks and Recreation, was that day off I had in Toronto last fall, and I just walked around that Bob Loblaws grocery store looking at those weird no-name yellow Canadian food labels, that to me, oh, I'll be chasing that dragon for the rest of my life. It was the greatest afternoon in Canada that I think I've ever had. I know exactly where you're coming from because I once stayed in Berkeley down the street from the Berkeley Bowl, and it was around the holidays, and they had seven different types of satsumas. Yeah. Anyone who listens to this podcast know I love the history of food, I love the history of food packaging. I love weird brands. 
I love uh, innovative um, uh, stacking techniques. And I can't imagine why anyone would want to rule out going to the supermarket. I'll go there right now. But people like what they like. And it sounds like their lives can't actually allow that to happen as often as they would like. And what I am suggesting is that if Samantha is offended by the food in a box option, then she's got to get her act together and cook more. But in the meantime, if Lee wants to give those things a try, it's a free country. He should go just go ahead and do it and suffer the consequences. Um, the consequences, by the way, is a lot of uh, packaging waste, which is another thing I'm not fond of. So maybe uh, don't do it that often. Or when you do do it, take all of the little baggies and little cups and foil wrappers that came with your uh, foods and, and mold it into a, a decorative centerpiece so that you can think about that while you're eating. Here's something from Amanda Kay. My friend and I have a dispute about what defines a movie musical, specifically regarding the film Pitch Perfect. She mm. says she thinks it's a great musical. I was shocked at this admission. I said the film is not a musical. Rather, it's a film that happens to have people who are involved in acapella. A Wait musical. A Wait, Jesse, Jesse, hang on. Wait up, Wait yeah. up Jesse. What movie is this? Uh, this is Pitch Perfect 1. I've, n- I'm, I've never heard of that movie. It's sort of a prequel to Pitch Perfect 2 starring John Hodgman. Oh, Hodgeman. Pitch Perfect 2. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a movie. I didn't know So there was Oh, there's another one. Oh, okay, interesting. Yeah. Uh, a musical <laughs> says Amanda Kay is a film in which people sing spontaneously. The music is performed to explore feelings or in place of conversation. It's an equivalent to dialogue in a non-musical film. Moreover, the music often drives the plot. In Pitch Perfect, music works purely as an entertainment device and not necessarily as a plot device. Who's right? Who's wrong? Please help us decide. Nick Offerman, have you any thoughts to offer, man? Well... You have any musical theater background, Nick? Uh, the last singing role I essayed was that of Judd Fry in Oklahoma oh. at Manuka High School in 1988. Um, and uh, I, I was – the reviews were mixed. Nick? I forgot. What song does he sing? Um, the, poor Judd is Dade with uh, – mm-hmm. is a duet with Curly. With Curly. And then, How and does that one go again? Poor Judd is dead, a candle lights his head. He's laying in a coffin made of wood. Of course you remember it. It's a woodworking song. <laughs> yes. Um, he also has a song that's... It's good sport, by the way, Nick. Thank you very much. No, my pleasure. Do you need um, me to sing anything from Mother Courage and Her Children? Because I got you <laughs> if you need anything. Weren't you going to do Music Man? Jesse, yeah. Wasn't that your thing? Well, now Nick wants to do Music Man. I found out as we were walking into the studio, that's one of Nick's professional goals. My new idea is, you know, Nick's a star. This is a guy that gets stuff greenlit. At the very least, he can get stuff greenlit at the La Jolla Playhouse. So my idea is we pitch Nick as Professor Harold Hill, but sort of like how Lin-Manuel Miranda used to take Sunday afternoons off and put yeah. his regular understudy, who's now the star of uh, Hamilton, into the role of Alexander Hamilton in Hamilton, I could be the Sunday Harold Hill, which is plenty of Harold Hill for me. I don't need to be an eight-show-a-week Harold Hill. Once is fine. You know, if we're doing it for six weeks, I can do six shows. You know, I'll get my family to come down and see it, that kind of thing. Uh, I'll be your substantial surrogate. Yeah, um, I, the thing about that plan Nick's is... Nick's just going to be your overstudy. And I'll bask in Nick's star power. I like that. I'm your overstudy. <laughs> I, <laughs> Sorry, Nick. Go ahead. I, uh, I don't doubt that both Jesse and I have the showmanship required to pull off Harold Hill. Uh-oh. Sounds like we've got trouble. But the, uh, the audience generally enjoys... Uh, and I, I'm not super familiar with your singing voice... But in my own case, they prefer a, someone with a better singing talent than I possess. Eh, uh, I mean, there's a lot of patter. There, there is. But, uh, you know, if we went and auditioned at a general call, <laughs> they would hand us Shapoopy and say, take a minute in the hallway with this. Yeah, that girl's hard to get. <laughs> I hate to uh, break into this mutual self-deprecation society, but um, we can agree on one thing for sure, which is that The Music Man is a musical, and Oklahoma is a musical. 
we know these things to be true in the same way we know a ham on rye is a sandwich. But here we are faced with a hot dog called Pitch Perfect 2. This court refuses to acknowledge the movie Pitch Perfect. <laughs> Fair enough. Is this hot dog, which does have some significant differences from a traditional musical, as Amanda points out, people are not spontaneously breaking into song to express their feelings in ways that the other characters cannot hear. Every time those guys sing, they know they are singing. They are performing singing within the concept of the plot. That is called diegesis. They are aware of what they are doing. They are aware that they are performing, whereas Oklahoma and Music Man and other traditional musicals, there's a break in reality where a character will start singing about their feelings, maybe to express a deeper feeling. And even if they're singing together on stage, uh, in, in the reality of the world that they are conjuring, they're not singing at all. It is an expression of their unconscious. Unless you have a diegetic musical number within a non-diegetic musical, such as when uh, the Von Trapp family performs Edelweiss in uh, The Sound of Music, which is a musical. But in that case, they know they're singing because they're on stage doing it on purpose. All right. So does Pitch Perfect 2 count as a musical? Jesse Thorne? My inclination, and I took an entire college course called American Musical Theater with Professor uh, Tom Lair at UC Santa Cruz. Oh, right. He never called us back. He didn't. He didn't. Um, that's okay. I, I understand. America's Twitter users, please stop asking me if he called us back. It's okay <laughs> that he didn't call us back. He's an old, grumpy man. Yeah. In fact, as I was just thinking, I think it was actually kind of mean of us to do that to him. To yeah. Him he, that weird message. he was an old, grumpy man when he was my professor, and that was 13 years ago. So there you go. Um, but uh, Professor Lair and his colleagues in that class taught me a lot about musical theater. I would say that for me, I don't think there's a hard line. Uh, for me, I would say that the question of diegesis versus extra diegetic is less central than the question of whether uh, the music drives the narrative and the emotional arc of the of the film. So for me, I would be inclined to say that, for example, Once or Sing Street, uh, movie musicals in which uh, all of the music performed is performed either in the form of a music video or a live performance within the context of the narrative, are musicals because those songs are consistently driving the emotional arc of the film. I would say that Pitch Perfect, it's, I've only seen Pitch Perfect 2, frankly. Uh, which is really funny, by the way. Um, and I, w- I would say, eh, you were okay. Um, Thank you. You were, you were wonderful, Judge Hodgman. Thank you. Um, I would say that that it really is on the line. And I would be inclined to say I would probably not describe it as a musical for that reason. But I, I wouldn't look askance on someone who did describe it as a musical. Let me say this, though. If I may, you seem to be overlooking when you talk about musical numbers driving the plot. I mean, the centrality to the dramatic structure of Pitch Perfect 2, of the particular sequence known as the riff-off, where the question on everyone's minds is, will John Hodgman and the Tonehangers be in this movie more? (laughs) Will they defeat these miscellaneous Green Bay Packers who are appearing in this film with equal billing? (laughs) And of course, that's the great tragedy. I mean, this is one of the great musical tragedies is we do not win the riff off and we are not seen again. And that's, I think where the movie ends. It's certainly where I stopped watching. Yeah. Nick, what's your take? If you have one. Well, I, I agree, uh, wholeheartedly. I, I feel like, uh, the, the pitch perfect, uh, oeuvre falls much more into line with movies like Ray or, uh, Oh, I had another example. Or even a dance movie like Breakin' or, uh, what's the one? Step up to the streets. Beat Street. Yeah, and King of the Beat, rocking that beat from across the street. I mean the the uh, subject matter of this of the musical performances is more incidental to the narrative, um, and so I, I would I would agree that Pitch Perfect is a a movie with music more than a movie musical. Pitch Perfect too. Excuse me. 
Yeah, I, I honestly couldn't hear what you were saying there for a second. It was, it's like when in the TV show Westworld, when they show a robot a picture of the modern world and they just say, that looks like nothing to me. I can't That's see how anything. I feel about Pitch Perfect. Uh, I agree with both of you. Um, it's a subtle difference, but subtle differences can add texture to life. That a hot dog is similar to a sandwich in many, many demonstrable ways does not mean it has to be a sandwich. It is enough that it is a hot dog, distinct due to some very specific and one to me determinative difference from a sandwich, which was only a mentally disturbed person would cut it in half unless it was for a child. That That is unsandwichness to me. And that's good because as I say, yeah, you can make an argument that a hot dog is a sandwich, but once a hot dog is a sandwich, then all is sandwich. And so these, you know, then a taco is a sandwich, and then a burrito is a sandwich. This is what Merriam-Webster says. All of a sudden, you're living in an anarchistic, Nick Offerman-esque world where there are no rules. Yeah, where people are sucking their tonic through a straw while lying down on the ground. No panache. Anyway, I think it's a subtle difference, but an important one, because the musical, uh, as we've described it, with the extra diegetic singing and the using the songs to provide insight and motion in the plot is a, an unusual and unique and weird art form that is not doing so well. I mean, it's doing great in a lot of ways, I mean, creatively. But of course, it's a, it exists for a moment on stages in a, a very few parts of the country and very rarely makes it to the movies. And so I think that as an art form, it's worthwhile giving it its due and calling that a musical, because that's traditionally what a musical is, and we'll call Pitch Perfect uh, 2. Like in the same way opera has operetta, we'll call that a musical lella. Musical lella is what that's called from now on. Let's take a quick break. We'll have more with Nick Offerman, plus some listener letters about recent episodes when we come back in just a second. Hello, I'm your Judge John Hodgman. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is brought to you every week by you, our members, of course. Thank you so much for your support of this podcast and all of your favorite podcasts at MaximumFun.org, and they are all your favorites. If you want to join the many member supporters of this podcast and this network, boy, oh boy, that would be fantastic. Just go to MaximumFun.org slash join. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Babbel. Okay, it's 2024, 2024. Oh, if hindsight were 2020, I, I don't know what I would have done differently. All I know is that I'm taking every day in this year and trying to get better a little bit every day. That's what you do. That's the way progress is made, step by step, day by day, bird by bird. And that's the way it is when you're learning anything, especially a new language with Babbel. And if Babbel can help you start speaking language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in the rest of this whole year. Don't pay hundreds of dollars to private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts, real human beings, to help you start speaking a new language in as little as one, two, three weeks. Studies from Michigan State University, Yale University, and others continue to prove that Babbel is better. And that's not just the Yale football team putting their thumb on the scale because they love learning Indonesian from Babbel. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Take that, Yale, I guess. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but this is only for our listeners at babbel.com slash Hodgman. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Aura. A-U-R-A. It's a simple but meaningful gift that you can give your mom or your dad or your step-grandparent or your uncle or your friend or anyone that you want to keep connected in your life who might not live near you, it's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things that those friends can't be there for, from family vacations to grandkids' graduation to whatever. I have one of these, and I got one for my dad, and I got one for my mother-in-law, and it's amazing. We look at the photos all day long, and we're able to easily update their Aura frames so they see all the latest pictures from our lives as well. It comes with unlimited storage, simple controls on the frame. You can upload as many photos as you want, 
and your mom or your dad or your stepdad or your stepmom or your friend or whatever can pick the perfect one. And it takes only about two minutes to set up. Seriously. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, uh, The Strategist, and Wired Magazine. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code Hodgman. That's A-U-R-A frames.com, promo code Hodgman. Terms and conditions apply. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Welcome back to the Judge John Hodgman podcast. We're clearing the docket with us, Deputy Judge Nick Offerman. Nick Offerman, of course, uh, the author of the brand new best-selling book, Good Clean Fun. Is this like a book of actual uh, woodworking information? Recipes. It, yeah. is, it is a legit uh, woodworking recipe book. It, it, you can learn woodworking from this book. It's a textbook as though it was written by the valedictorian and the class clown. What could I? What would be my first woodworking project? Uh, the coaster. Oh. Which is a great Ooh. place to start. All you're doing is choosing a beautiful piece of wood and preparing its surface by sanding and oiling it. And then it's really fun to use with or without a straw. But if I spill my gin and tonic on the floor so I can lap it up with my disgusting tongue, do I need a coaster for that? Uh, you can go either way. It depends on your panache level. <laughs> Uh, I have a copy of this book. It's fantastic, and everyone should go out and buy it. And you also have a movie in theaters now? Uh, it's coming up soon. It's called The Founder with Michael Keaton. He plays Ray Kroc, the founder of the McDonald's Corporation. And uh, John Carroll Lynch uh, and I play Mac and Dick McDonald, who actually created McDonald's, and then uh, suffered through a relationship with Ray Kroc. Oh, wow. You know, Ray Kroc's late wife, his final wife of several, uh, endowed National Public Radio with much of the money that allows me to be a professional public radio host. Yeah, she really uh, – she went a long way towards trying to ease many of the ills that McDonald's has exacted upon <laughs> our, our global waistlines. <laughs> um, Judge Hodgman, we actually also have a couple of live shows coming up. Uh, we're going to yeah, be at important San ones. Yeah, we got San Francisco Sketch Fest coming up. That's a highlight every year. That's going home. That's going home for us. January 13th? Yeah. Friday the 13th. Yeah, at the Curran Theater in San Francisco, bit.ly slash judgment by the bay. Or you can find it at maximumfun.org. I'm actually going to do Jordan Jesse Go that same weekend uh, at San Francisco Sketch Fest. So it's a great time to either be in town uh, or to already live there um, if my mother's listening right now. Um, we're, also, we're also headed to Chicago. That's Nick Offerman country. That's right. It's, it's, it's just northeast of Manuka, Illinois. That's how it's usually identified in tourist pamphlets. 
Uh, we're going to be at very, very fun day, February 11th at Talia Hall, uh, which is – it's going to be a grand – Maximum Fun Podcast Extravaganza, 12 hours of podcasts on multiple tracks. Uh, Judge John Hodgman, uh, our enemy podcast, The Flop House, uh, yep. Jordan Jesse Go, uh, Tights and Fights, uh, Stop Podcasting Yourself, uh, some great local shows, a stand-up show. Uh, it's going to be really fantastic. VIP tickets for that already sold out, but there's general admission tickets. Uh, you can find the link at MaximumFun.org um, slash Very, Very Fun Day. Do you want to hear my nicknames for all of the rival podcasts we'll be performing with there? Yes, I would love that. Flophouse? Yeah. They're the Flopsies. Got it. Stop Podcasting Yourself? Stopsies. Got it. Jordan Jesse Go? Go Boys. Uh-huh. Tights and Fights? Fights and Tights. <laughs> Wait, are these their nicknames or their acapella those are my, team Those names? are my nicknames for them. So yes, please go to MaximumFun.org slash Very, Very Fun Day. And uh, tickets to uh, that event, to the Sketchfest event, and indeed a whole bunch of other uh, new public appearances that I just put up on my uh, website are all on johnhodgman.com slash tour. This includes the ones we just talked about, as well as my appearance on At Midnight. You get free tickets. That's on January 16th. I'm doing some touring with the Boston Pops. If you live in Florida, I would love to see you. Meeting our friend John Darneal in New York City on February 7th, um, and much, much more. So please just go to johnhodgman.com slash tour and follow those links and, um, and come and visit. Here's something from Amanda F. When I mail letters and bills, I put them in the mailbox and raise the red flag. My husband Tristan insists that while this is legally permissible, it's rude and burdensome to our mail carrier. He's fairly serious about this. Tristan used to be a mail boy at a college campus, and I think this informs his feelings on the matter. I say it's not rude to send mail from a personal box. It's part of the mail carrier's job. They're not offended or burdened if I send mail this way. I ask that you serve an injunction to Tristan to stop shaming me for using our mailbox. And I request a trip to Holiday World next year as emotional damages. I don't know what Holiday World is, though. Do either of you know? Uh, That's not the thing from National Lampoon Vacation, is it? (laughs) No. Wait, is Holiday World the, is that the blimp hanger turned uh, tropical paradise in Germany? No, it's not that. Is it a Christmas themed amusement park? Mm, Do you think? I I don't think. Or all holidays themed amusement park? uh, Yeah, I I honestly couldn't tell you. I believe that that's possible. It might be in that giant mall in Calgary. Holiday, oh, here we are. Holiday World and Splashin Safari. Its address is 452 East Christmas Boulevard, Santa Claus, Indiana. <laughs> I, think, I think that answers the question. Uh. Well, Nick, I, I, were you ever a letter carrier in, in your life? Do you have any thoughts or advice for this lazy person? I have, I have a very strong opinion about this. I, I'd like to hear it. And I, I may be completely in the wrong, but I would think that if I were a member of the Postal Service um, – who, uh, who has a creed that I am very fond of. I, I first learned of it from hearing Lori Anderson recite it uh, on, um, I believe, her record, Big Science, and I would like to recite it for you now. The, the postal carrier's creed in our country is as follows. Neither snow nor rain nor heat nor gloom of night shall stay these couriers from the swift completion of their appointed rounds. That always filled me with an incredible sense of pride in what it must be like to carry the pieces of post from one place to another anywhere in our country. So in my opinion, if I was a mail carrier and I looked down a street and saw a bunch of red flags, I'd say, goddamn right, this is a job for a USPS postal carrier. Well, yeah, I'm not suggesting that the postal carrier will shrug from his or her duty and beautiful credo. And I hope they're always listening to that Laurie Anderson song, Oh Superman, in the, on their Walkmans as they, as they deliver their letters. That's what I always imagine. But what if it's particularly rainy, snowy, heaty, gloomy, and you're tired and you turn on that street and you see all those flags up I, I could imagine that that could be a little dispiriting. So here's what I have to say. It is within your legal right, Amanda, 
to raise that flag, for sure. But when you do it next, please remember one of the important credos of the Judge John Hodgman podcast, which is, be mindful of the work you leave for others. If you can get that thing and take it to your post office, do it. Engage with one of the most important civic monuments that we have in this country, a functioning, subsidized postal service. It's, one, it's like those letter carriers are carrying not just circulars and, and fruit and steak catalogs, although I'll, I'll take them any day. But, you know, the, traditionally and historically, the lives and hopes and dreams of all of your fellow Americans and important commerce to boot. So I, I would say, Nick is quite right. I would applaud any mail carrier uh, for the work that they do. And I appreciate they would never shrug their duty. But at the same time, on an individual level, you don't have to put that flag of like, mm, I don't feel like going out today up all the time. I disagree violently, Judge Hodgman. I'm 100% with Offerman. I think, number one, they're coming to the mailbox anyway. They got to drop off my Jay Peterman catalog. Uh huh. And number two, it is a part of their sacred duty. It is an exchange. They take the outgoing mail and leave. There is something beautiful about that. That's something really wonderful about that. And, you know, you can no longer send a package in that manner, or at least a package over a, a certain number of ounces in weight since the Unabomber. Uh, and so it really will be a letter. It will not be a physical difficulty for that person. And it's a, it's a beautiful part of what the postal carrier does on a daily basis. Brings the mail hither and yon. I appreciate that. But there's another credo that I'm not even sure that I've introduced this credo to the podcast yet, but it's, it's another one that I've been working in my credo lab which is about, about helping. There are two principles of help that I try to instill in my feral children who live in my house. Offer help before it is asked for, and then provide help in the way you have been asked to help. And the latter thing is really the thing. Like, if someone's asking you for help and they want you to do X, Y, and Z, don't say, I'm actually going to do... A, B, and C. That'll help. Help in the way you're asked to help. And in this case, we have Tristan, a former male boy, which is a weird term that I'd never heard before, who explained to her, boy, I wish some of those flags had not gone up that day. It would have helped me that day to not have to do that. And so all I'm saying is, and I'm a guy who occasionally will, I don't have a flag, but we have a slot in our apartment building where outgoing mail goes. If that's what you got to do that day because you're not going out, it's definitely part of the service for sure. But each time you do it, think to yourself, could I possibly relieve someone's burden today by taking this a few extra steps myself? That's all I'm saying. So I agree. It's legal. It's fine. It's good. Be mindful of the work you leave for others. And I order, in the spirit of this uh, rather wishy-washy judgment, I order Amanda and Tristan to go to Holiday World as combined reward and punishment, because I think it's probably both. Judge Hodgman, do you have anything in the mailbag there? Yeah, Jesse, I received a number of letters regarding verdict number 286, grass action lawsuit, in which we ruled on a dispute between Daniel and Bernadette about landscaping. He wanted a traditional 50s suburban style bright green flat lawn and claimed that turf grass is actually better for the environment in Iowa, where they live, because it provides better runoff. And as I say, I got a number of letters. Here's one from Vanessa. Vanessa writes, I was inspired to write because of your recent case regarding lawns. I'm in my final year in the Natural Resource Science and Management PhD program at the University of Minnesota. So she knows what she's talking about. The husband's claim that turf grass is better for the environment than native plants is just wrong. Basically, in all the ways someone might measure benefit. Native plants are far more beneficial for water and other resources than lawn grass. Native plants develop deeper root systems that improve soil health and reduce watering needs. They require far fewer, if any, chemical treatments. They help keep pollution out of water bodies. Finally, they provide habitat for important critters we like to have around, like bees. You know I love bees. So uh, I have to say thank you, Vanessa, for writing this information. And uh, even though I think I ordered Daniel to have a lawn in front of his house, you please acknowledge, sir, you're a monster who hates bees. And, and your, your environmental claim was wrong. 
And also Laura, an environmental engineer, wrote the same thing. So they have it in for you. I really like this letter that we got uh, that was about, you know, you, you were talking about how you don't like apples. I don't know if, how you feel about apples, Nick. I go for an apple. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine with an apple. Sure. Uh, it depends on the apple, but my mom's got a nice apple tree that puts out some nice apples in her backyard. Um, Nicole wrote something interesting. Uh, she wrote, the Macintosh is my least favorite apple. However, by adding salt to it, it becomes a delicious, savory treat. Try it. You might like it. All right, I'm, I'm going to do that right now. I have a Macintosh apple that I got from the supermarket. Gave me an excuse to go to that supermarket today. I was otherwise not going to go. I'm cutting it open with my Ken Onion knife. I'm cut a little slice of it out. I got some, I'm going to go ahead and buzz market it because it's the king of salts. Maldon sea salt flakes, the best salt. I'm going to open that if I can. I'm going to use my knife. This is my public public television show. Your Foley guy is great. <laughs> yeah. Can we hear, can we hear some high heels walking through gravel? Yeah. All right. Uh, Hulk running, please. All right. Uh, I'm going to take a bite. Everyone Google Hulk running if you don't know what I'm talking about. It's the greatest scene in comedy. All right. I'm going to take a bite of this Macintosh apple without salt. Super tart. That's the control. Yeah, that's the control. And uh, Judge Hodgman, I would caution you to take care when eating near the microphone uh, because we could be uh, drowned in a sea of angry emails. I figured I just triggered someone's ASMR for sure. (laughs) All right. I'm just going to munch this moist apple with my teeth. (laughs) Holy moly. Salty apple's pretty good. <laughs> I like that a lot. Especially this is good. This is that good salt, that Maldon salt that I like, which I would not use in cooking, but for finishing foods, because cooking is an art form. Darn it! Because <laughs> it's very crunchy and it adds a textural addition to the apple as well. I like it a lot. But you know what I like better? Just eating this salt by itself. Mm. <laughs> Email me about that, nerds. <laughs> Roll credits. Uh, Nick Offerman, what a joy it's been to have you on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. I'm sure everyone right now is literally at their bookstore, having made a detour some 15 minutes ago uh, during our mid-break, picking up a copy of your brand new best-selling book, uh, Good Clean Fun. I'm sure Volvos all over the country are currently driving through the plate glass windows of Brentano's booksellers everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to get that book as quickly as possible. Norm Abram himself is banging on the doors of a shuttered borders, hoping that they will go back into business so that he can buy himself a copy of Nick Offerman's new book, Good Clean Fun. It's been a pleasure to see you as always, friend. Thank you. It's been a great privilege. And of course, our producer on Judge John Hodgman is Jennifer Marmer. We want your cases on Judge John Hodgman. Submit a case at MaximumFun.org slash J-J-H-O. That's MaximumFun.org slash J-J-H-O. You can also email us at Hodgman at MaximumFun.org. And we're specifically looking for cases for San Francisco. Yeah. So if you've got a San Francisco case, come on, you're A-B testing in your software packages revealing something, something, something. Someone called it Frisco. Someone gave you a Los Angeles burrito. Nick, I, I'm a, I fear that my bailiff has gone into a fugue state. <laughs> uh, you, Judge Hodgman, you know that I'm easily triggered to go into a saying things about San Francisco fugue state. Listen, you rice aronis if you've got a dispute with someone you know in the Bay Area and you'd like to have it heard uh, on stage live uh, on Friday the 13th at SF Sketchfest. Uh, go to those same forums, MaximumFun.org slash JJHo or Hodgman at MaximumFun.org. Uh, give me your dispute. Say that you're in San Francisco. Say you want me to consider it for the live show. And uh, if we pick your case, guess what? You, you, you get a free ticket. Yeah. That's a pretty good deal. And if you, don't, if you already have tickets, I'm going to give you a hug uh, backstage before you go on stage. Honestly, Judge Hodgman, you get two free tickets. You get a free ticket to the Judge John Hodgman Show, and you get a free ticket to Podcast Immortality. That's right. And we're going to do the same thing for Chicago as well. And you can uh, send your Chicago cases in as well. Nick, pick a fight with someone in Chicago so that we can fly you out there if you be on the show. 
All right, then. Uh, let's get me and Craig Robinson uh, debating White Sox versus Cubs. Oh, yeah, there we go. <laughs> Uh, We're going to burn that theater down. (laughs) Follow us on Twitter at Jesse Thorne, at Nick Offerman, right, Nick? That's right. Uh, At Hodgman for Hodgman. Hashtag at JJHO on Twitter. Like us on Facebook and join us to discuss the case on the Maximum Fun Reddit at MaximumFun.reddit.com. We'll talk to you next time on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.